In today's episode, we welcome Lisa Statfoy, a partner at Field Law who specializes in intellectual property law, trademarking, and copyright. Lisa brings her wealth of legal knowledge to our discussion to help realtors understand the potential pitfalls and best practices related to the use of images, trademarks, copywriting, and more. With the explosion of digital marketing in real estate, this discussion is more important than ever. We hope you enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we have an interesting topic, intellectual property in real estate. And we are talking today with an expert in the subject, Lisa Statfoy, who is a partner at Field Law. We are going to be diving right into intellectual property. And some of you may not even know what I'm talking about, but that has to do with anything out there in the world that is owned by somebody that you did not create sort of falls under that intellectual property banner. And of course, Lisa is going to be addressing some of those things, but let's just get right into it. Lisa, you know, thanks for joining us today. And I think it's, it's an important topic because so many realtors out there just don't understand where the boundaries are. One of the big ones, let's just start, you know, both feet in the deep end. Can a realtor use photos that they find on the internet for any of their marketing pieces? It's great to be here, Brian, and I get asked that question a lot, and quite often in my practice, of course, it comes up when somebody has found out that they are potentially infringing somebody's intellectual property. They absolutely cannot just use photos that they find on the internet, and that doesn't just apply to photos, of course, but other kinds of content. There's a real misconception out there that works For example, photos or videos or other kinds of of works that are out there on the internet are, are public domain and they can certainly be used. Because the creators put them on a site like YouTube or perhaps on a website that many people feel that they that means that it's in the public domain and available for them to use. It absolutely isn't. And there are some penalties associated with using works that are not yours. So if a if a realtor decides that they're looking for some specific, you know, for a let's say for a marketing piece or a listing presentation, they just want to grab a stock photo from somewhere. They can't just search it up and, you know, once it pops up on Google, that doesn't belong to the world. It probably belongs to somebody. It absolutely belongs to somebody and whether or not you're going to get caught necessarily is a, is a question, but I can tell you from my practice that there are many copyright holders that are very actively looking for their works on the internet. There are meta tags and other coding that these owners use that allows them to search, well, computer bots to search 24-7 for their works on being used on the internet and websites and all of those sorts of things. And the result of that, if they find out that you're using not only something that you've taken from the internet without permission, but also if you are in breach of a license agreement, and we can talk about that later, that you will get a cease and desist letter in the mail or perhaps by email from a U.S. big copyright holder demanding in U.S. dollars a tremendous amount of money. And probably the result of that is that you're going to have to to pay it. So can they find you? Yes. And do they care? They absolutely do. So yes, it is really important to think about before you take something off the internet, the potential penalties for that. Okay, so obviously that's not something that 
that our members should be doing or anybody should be doing for that matter. But what if what if a realtor goes ahead and says, okay, I want really nice photos for my listing. I'm going to hire a professional photographer to go out, take those pictures of my listing. They're going to send them to me. I'm paying the bill for that photographer and I'm going to post them in my listing. Is that okay? Do I own those photos now? The unfortunate answer is not necessarily. So there are differences in law between the U.S. and Canada. And in Canada, just because you've actually paid somebody to do exactly what you have wanted them to do, necessarily create some kind of work, let's say a photograph by a professional photographer, it doesn't actually mean that you necessarily own it. The default rule, and there are some really important exceptions to this rule, but the default rule is if the creator owns it. So if, if you, even if you have hired somebody to do that specific work, for example, to take a photograph or to do a sculpture or to build your website, you would think it would make sense that you actually own that copyright in that work, but not necessarily. So it's really important that you get some kind of provision in writing, ideally in some kind of written agreement that confirming between the two parties exactly who owns what and if the photographer or the website builder or the creator is going to retain some rights, that it's very clearly set out in that agreement who owns what and on what conditions you're able to use it. So to reiterate, just because you've actually hired somebody to do, to do that exact thing, for example, take a photograph for your a website, for example, or brochures, for example, it doesn't necessarily mean that you own it. The result of that is you don't necessarily have the rights to use it however you want. So you might be able to just use it on your on your website, for example, but if you decide you're going to create brochures or be part of a marketing campaign and use that photograph in other, in other ways and means, then it's possible that in fact that's copyright infringement even though you paid for that photograph. So that's great advice because I, I know I've hired photographers in the past that actually had no agreement at all. I just paid them the money and they did the job and they, they gave me the photographs to use. So in absence of, a, of an agreement, it sounds like what you're saying, in absence of any agreement, they maintain ownership. And if, you know, as a best practice, members should be looking for photographers who actually use an agreement and clarify that relationship as to what they can use it for, who ends up owning that photograph um, and, you know, for how long maybe? Is that is that accurate? That's exactly right. The best practice would be that there is some kind of paper between the parties that sets out who owns what and in what circumstances you can use it. And I would recommend that you use photographers that, that understand these issues and already have potentially an agreement. If not, though, at minimum, there should be an assignment of all rights from the photographer to you that makes it very clear that you have the right to use those photographs in perpetuity for anything that you choose to use it for, even for commercial purposes, potentially even as part of a logo or a trademark. And those are are the kinds of issues that we see cropping up time and time again is the parties had a basic understanding of what the photograph was going to be used for. The party that paid for it has now used it in a different way that the photographer is not comfortable with, and that's when potentially problems can arise. That's very clarifying, I think. You know, the other sort of wrinkle to all of this that sort of comes up is 
sellers believe that once the photograph is taken of their home, they own that home, they own those possessions in the photograph. We've had situations in the past where sellers believe that those are their photos and they will download them and they will, you know, use them maybe in a, in a future marketing agreement or something like that. Clearly, based on what we've already talked about, that's not the case. That's absolutely not the case. And it's, it's helpful perhaps to point out too that realtors can be put in this circumstance too, where they're the ones taking the photograph and now the sellers or some other party is using their photographs on a website or some kind of marketing campaign. Again, those realtors without more are probably the ones that own those copyright in that photograph or those works and potentially have an action. So I guess... While we're thinking about intellectual property, I guess this would be of interest to realtors when they are trying to create types of differentiation marketing. What I mean by that is like logos and taglines and, you know, something something along those lines. Now, they may hire a, a company who produces those types of materials for them. And of course, you know, as we'd already discussed, there should be an agreement between the parties to determine who actually owns it and for how long. But once that those items are created, whether they create it themselves or, or somebody else, do you think that they should be registered? Is that something that's important? There are benefits to registration, and there's there's a number of benefits to registration. One of the considerations when somebody starts to use a mark, a trademark, in association with goods and services to differentiate their services from those of others is that just as soon as they start using it, potentially they're starting to get some rights in that trademark, which is very, very different from copyright. However, those rights are very geographically limited, and in in modern times, the advent of the internet, for example, and, and the importance of websites, those rights usually don't get our clients very far. And that's where registration comes in, is registration is a federal grant of property in a trademark given to certain kinds of traders under certain kinds of conditions. And that gives a coast-to-coast right, kind of think of it as sort of land titles. It gives a, a federal grant in property to the owner, the registered owner of that trademark, which means that even if you were only using that trademark to offer realtor services in St. Albert, you can potentially stop somebody in Gander, Newfoundland for using it for uh, real estate types of services as well. Trademark is all about differentiation, about distinguishing your services from those of others, meaning that if it's not distinctive in the marketplace, so trademarks that are descriptive, for example, or very commonly used in the trade cannot be registered at law and probably can't be protected. So it's really important for clients when they're starting to think about how they can differentiate their services, their business from those of others, that they think of trademarks that are really distinctive is the word that we would use. So not something that's suggestive even or descriptive, certainly not, because those kind of marks cannot be registered and probably can't be protected. Namely, if somebody else is using that trademark, even in the same city, to offer their uh, real estate services, probably we can't stop them if it's truly descriptive or it's composed of terms and terminology that's very common in the trade. Yeah, and I know that that is a big concern for our members when it comes to, you know, maybe they're trying to create a team or uh, even a broker 
creating a uh, brokerage logo and those types of things that those type of protections do exist if they seek them out. In reality, I mean, I think in general, people understand that, you know, if, if something belongs to somebody else, you can't take it and use it. So that's, I think a lot of times this is something that is sort of, you know, more innocent or negligent in, in its use. But is there like a real penalty for violation, like copyright and intellectual property law? Is that sort of more of a courtesy or for big businesses? Like if I use the Coca-Cola logo or something like that, am I going to get in trouble for using, you know, a small time photo from a small time photographer? Yes, you absolutely do run the risk of actually having to pay some damages. So there's there's two kinds of damages you could potentially have to pay in addition to one of the big trademark or sorry, copyright holders finding out that you're using their mark, in which case you can get a cease and desist letter, I can tell you from experience, for around 5000 to 8000 US dollars as a demand. But even under just Canadian copyright law, there's statutory damages potentially. So that means that there can be between 520,000, I believe is the current statutory damages for an infringement of a work, meaning that you don't have to prove that your business was damaged or you don't have to prove the, the kinds of damages or issues that you had as a result of that copying. If copying is proven, then there can be five hundred to twenty thousand dollars per infringement issued without any kind of need for proving damages. And those are called statutory damages. I can tell you though that those copyright holders are very vigilant in finding infringements and sending out these cease and desist letters. It's big business potentially for them. And I would caution realtors like I do for all of my clients that even when they have used a stock photo, they need to be very, very careful about the licensing provisions. Many have just a one-time use on a website or they have prohibitions against using that photo as part of a logo. Sometimes they have prohibitions against uh, using it for business purposes at all or certain kinds of printed publications. And the price of the license, of course, goes up depending on the kinds of rights that you're getting. They will be looking for uh, uses of that photograph or that work that extend beyond the licensing provisions that, that somebody like the website designer has purchased. So even making sure that you are well within your licensing provisions is extremely important or you could get one of these cease and desist letters for sure. One thing that's come up often in our office that might be helpful for listeners is we've had numerous issues of website designers. So a realtor, for example, has paid somebody to design their website, and then they get one of these nasty cease and desist letters uh, from one of the big U.S. copyright holders. And their response is, well, I paid this website designer to do all of this work, and usually they've paid them quite a tremendous amount of money, and it came with all of these photos, etc. So they've assumed that they either have purchased or licensed all of these photos or that the website designer is somehow taken care of getting the necessary rights for them to include these works inside their website. But quite often that's not the case. So that it could be that the website designer has, has gone further than what the license allowed or they've just pulled stuff off the internet. We've seen that numerous times. Surprisingly to my clients, 
that they would think that the website designer is the one it actually is guilty of infringement, but that's not the case. It's the one who published it that's guilty of infringement, namely the website, the one, the uh, realtor, for example, that has paid for the website, is using the website, and is displaying these infringing works, that's the person who is going to ultimately end up being required to pay this bill to the big copyright holder. And oftentimes, the website designers can no longer be found, or even if they can, it might be hard to make these charges stick. So what I would say to to your listeners is they really need to be careful, even if they're paying a website designer to design their website, to make sure that all of the necessary rights have been purchased and that they're well within their their license provisions for any stock photos used. And I know that you, Brian, have talked about in previous articles that the best way is just to get out your your camera, take some photographs yourself. Mm. That's the best way. Then you're not worrying about use of stock photos and the licensing provisions around them and whether or not you might run afoul of some Canadian copyright law. Yeah. That's probably the best way. Get creative with your own camera. Absolutely, yeah. Just go on a photo walk, take your camera with you. Even if they're bad, they're still yours. They're still yours. And you'll get better. And you won't have to deal with a copyright lawyer. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And, and you know, you really touched on an important point there when it comes to stock photos. So even if you pay for it from a photo company, you know, that little terms of use or terms of licensing thing that everybody just skims by and says accept. Listeners really should be reading those agreements just to make sure that it covers what they need to cover. Excellent point of, about um, website designers as well. How you know they can they can maybe violate that terms of use by passing that information on to the realtor, and the realtor gets in trouble. And there's real further to what you said. There's real teeth to copyright and infringement and intellectual property law. So so that's something that listeners really have to be careful about. As far as um, you know, I've got a sort of a laundry list of a couple of other things that I wanted to run by you. Uh, and maybe in rapid fashion, let's just talk about text. Does text fall under intellectual property law? If if I'm looking for some great way to introduce, you know, my new service that I'm offering, and I find just the perfect thing on another website in a different country, I could just copy, paste, use that same thing. Same goes for quotes or taglines or are, do all those things sort of fall under the same same provisions? Should I be careful about those things as well? Probably you should at least be careful. Text would potentially fall under trademark law and potentially be trademark infringement. Trademark, unlike copyright law, is very geographically specific. So if you can see that another trader is using a fantastic trademark in Australia, for example, that doesn't mean that you're prohibited from using that trademark for your your goods and services, at least not necessarily. It's possible that even though that realtor is using that trademark in Australia, that no other traders in Canada, for example, are using it, in which case you perhaps can start using it as a trademark, a distinguisher of source for your business. What you do need to be careful of, though, is these registered rights. If another trader has a registered trademark for not only that exact same 
trademark, but something that is confusingly similar to it. The test being, would an ordinary consumer with a vague recollection of the senior mark on encountering the junior mark think that they were coming from the same source? So that you and another realtor were potentially part of the same brokerage or somehow related in terms of goods and services. And if that's the case, then that's potentially trademark infringement. So it's important for traders that want to adopt a trademark, especially if they're going to be painting it on the side of buses or... Uh, airplanes or that kind of thing, if they're starting to put some investment into a trademark, that they have a qualified trademark agent doing comprehensive searches to make sure that nobody else has registered or has better rights to that trademark than you. Even if you don't do those searches, you are deemed to have notice of the fact that another trader is using it by virtue of that registration system. So I have had some clients say, well, I had no way of knowing that that trademark was being used by another party. How can I now be in trouble in terms of trademark infringement and potentially up for damages? And the reason is because somebody registered that trademark. So all Canadians are therefore deemed to have notice of the fact that another trader is using it. I think that's good advice for sure when it comes to... um situations, especially in other countries. I mean, the borders are invisible now with the internet. You can see things that people are doing in other countries and not even maybe realize that this could be a potential problem. And you need a qualified trademark agent or, you know, a lawyer who specializes in that specific thing in order to seek those things out. How about things like colors, certain colors, uh, color combinations? Are those you know, is that, are we getting into the weeds thinking that those things could be registered? Maybe certain color combinations in a certain order, or perhaps like maybe a giant, you know, worldwide brand has trademarked a specific color. Is that a thing? It is a thing. And now pursuant to fairly new law in this area, uh, not only can colors be protected as a trademark, but smells can be protected as a trademark. (laughs) Shaping can be protected as a trademark. There's a number of different kinds of trademarks that are very unusual. For example, a a series of notes can be protected as a trademark if you think of the MGM Roar. Mm. So there's a number of different kinds of trademarks and there are even very unconventional non-traditional trademarks that are possible. The consideration is that it needs to be a distinguisher of source. So with consumers on encountering that scent, that color, that series of sounds, know that that means that that particular good or service is being offered by that particular trader. Those are very hard kinds of trademarks to get because we have to show that that kind of making known that that consumers recognize that color, etc. as being yours. What is relevant though in the color world is logos. And logos are a very typical kind of trademark, a conventional kind of trademark that we register all of the time. So if your listeners have a logo that they use in association with their goods or services, sometimes we protect colors, sometimes we don't. But certainly it can be a really important part of protecting a trademark, um, considering whether color or not should be protected. I do find that consumers have a a reaction to colors and logos and artistic elements in a way that they might not with just the text itself. So as an overarching thought, maybe just to close out this this episode, if you created it, if you took the photo, if you wrote the text, you own it. 
you can do with it as you please. If you've done all of those things and you think that it's a significant you know, mark or usage or differentiator in your industry, then you should seek out a qualified trademark agent or intellectual property lawyer who can give you advice on how to take that to the next level. Make sure that other people can't, you know, take the hard work that you invest into your brand and and just pirate it. So is that a good way just to sort of clarify some of our thoughts in this episode? Yes, absolutely. It's really important that that all Canadians understand that if they didn't create it, they probably don't own it, and they certainly don't have rights to use it however they want, even if it's available on the internet and seems to be sort of in the public domain. It certainly, it almost certainly is not in the public domain, and that they really need to think before they're using it on the internet or in any other especially commercial means. That is excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. This has been extremely helpful. And uh, I think all of our listeners will agree that there's something in here for everybody that they probably didn't know before. So I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And we look forward to having you on as a future guest. My pleasure. We would like to extend a big thank you to Lisa for helping us understand the complex intellectual property issues in real estate for this timely and important discussion. For additional real estate practice information, check out our blog called Practically Speaking, which can be found on our website at albertarealtor.ca. We look forward to seeing you next time. We are in your area.